This is the Wrestling Brethren Podcast, a roundtable discussion into the wild and crazy world of professional wrestling. I'm Norco Kipty, joined by the full brethren of Jared Aubrey, Josh Wiener, and Seth Zillman. Gentlemen, how are we tonight? It's a content-filled week here at the Wrestling Brethren. Wow, we're just cranking out these shows like sausage. Don't tell you my might. dog sausage. <laughs> Jared, you okay? I'm doing good, brother. You, you okay? Because I know you were... Uh, you put some money on Tiger, but Brooks Kepka won last weekend, so oh. I just make sure you're okay. No, you can't put any money on Tiger anymore. You just don't know which version is going to show up. <laughs> hey, uh, we are talking uh, Money in the Bank 2019, which took place this past Sunday on the WWE Network from Hartford, Connecticut, Hartford, the Whale, all that good stuff. Let's let's get right to it. The Usos beat Daniel Bryan and Rowan in a simple tag team match, which we thought was going to be for the titles, SmackDown tag titles. It was not, but the Usos came out with the win anyway, and no titles had changed. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, Jimmy made the cover when Jay was actually the one who was a legal man, because Jay's the one with the cross tattooed on his shoulder, right? I have no idea. I just keep track of short and tall. <laughs> Jay is shorter than Jimmy. That's all I know. <laughs> right. But, I mean, the match itself I, I thought was fine. All these guys were were good. I don't know how many people were into the show because, you know, the Usos have been in the title picture for so long. And as we talked about last week, the former WWE champion literally the following week is on a pre-show match. And I understand that. like They, they supposedly wanted the rematch with him and Kofi. And Brian got hurt, uh, whether it was a concussion or not. I, I don't think it's been officially reported yet. But, you know, he he was hurt, so they did the thing with, with Kevin Owens. But still, it's like putting those guys in the pre-show, I thought, was just just weird. Well, it was last minute. I mean, he almost mm-hmm. didn't make the card at all. So when you have the card all booked up and you make the decision that you're going to put the cruiserweights on the main show, finally... Uh, that's all there was pretty much. And they, they had just won. So it would have been nice if they would have established them more, but you know, God forbid we book our tag team champions, regardless of brand, uh, to look strong at any point. So just another mid card title, Josh, but the useless one. So I'm happy matches. All right. That should be, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> if only someone could design one of those. Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to look into that. I think I know a guy. Yeah, just another mid-card title. We'll talk about that in a, in a little bit here. Going on to the main show, which opened up with the women's Money in the Bank match, which had Carmella, Dana Brooke, Ember Moon, Mandy Rose, Naomi, Natalia, Nikki Cross, and Bailey. And it came down to Bailey and Mandy Rose. Mandy Rose almost won it with assistance from Sonya Deville, but Bailey knocked him off and won the Money in the Bank contract. And I know Jarrett was extremely mad. I think when you compare to the previous women's Money in the Bank matches, like that god-awful first one that James Ellsworth won, I mean, this was perfectly fine. And they, they said that Natalia had competed in more women's Money in the Bank matches than anybody, and there's been like three. So I, I don't know if that's really something they, they need to say. But yeah, Sonya Deville grabbed Carmella, uh, put her up on her shoulders, uh, climbed the lap, uh, climbed the ladder with. Uh, uh, you mean Mandy Rose, not Carmella? Yeah, she yeah took with out Mandy Carmella. Rose on her on her shoulders. Yeah, Carmella was was injured earlier. Sorry, um, 
But yeah, and that you know, that's no small feat to climb a ladder with somebody in your shoulders. But I'm sitting here like, okay, a match with eight people on it needs a run in. Yeah, I, you know, TNA used to do the same thing all the time. And then when they do get to the top of the ladder, then Bailey comes up. And even though there's two heels and one baby face, it's like the heels are just stricken with like they, they don't know what to do. Like, what, what are we supposed to do? There's two of us and, and one of them. And of course, Bailey toss them down, grab the briefcase. I'm perfectly happy with Bailey winning. I believe I had picked, um, who did I pick to win? I think I had um, Nikki Cross. I had Nikki Cross as winning. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. So. Uh, I I have no problem with Bailey winning, especially given the show long story that they were telling. So um, I, I I'm happy with the result. I just thought they, they they booked a little too much to get to where they got. Okay, I'm gonna summarize this in bullet point form. Uh, we're gonna get to uh, oh no, I'm up here on the top of the ladder. What do I do? We're gonna get to that in the other ladder match. Uh, Jarrett, one of these days when we pick Mandy or Sonya, we're going to be right. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) somebody needed, uh, a lot of people were saying this online. Somebody needed to tell Sonya, Hey, you don't need to do the extra work. All you need to do is go up, grab, go up the ladder, grab the briefcase and toss it down to Mandy. You put in too much work. Uh, Bailey winning was fine. Um, we'll get to the subsequent actions later on. Um, the match itself was kind of hit or miss a little bit for me. Um, I don't really care for the injury spot that they do where somebody gets injured and that allows them to leave the match. And then all of a sudden they make their heroic comeback. It didn't do anything for Carmella. She didn't win. She didn't get over. So that was like a complete waste. See, I I didn't mind the, the Sonya Mandy bit so much. I mean, it was kind of, kind of, yeah, iffy in that, you know, Mandy was going to need help to win, but that was a storyline they were telling the entire time in that Sonya was going to do whatever she could to help Mandy win. She gave up her spot so Mandy could get in uh, the Money in the Bank match. But I think WWE listens to our podcast because they're making an awful, disturbing habit of listening to who I pick to win and giving, giving them the big tease spot to win the match before someone else wins. And it's really starting to piss me off. Especially when it's Sony and Mandy. So, Josh, yes, we will be right one of these times. <laughs> we might be well, right before obvious. we're right on Shinsuke. <laughs> <laughs> it was obvious that Bailey was the most over out of uh, out of all the women in the match. So oh. it was pretty obvious. But yeah. I'm okay with it. Sure, sure, Norco, yeah. And the other oh, come on, man. You can't, you can't deny that. No, dude. Bailey sucks. Don't matter. No matter what you think about that. What matters is that she's the most over out of all of them. And you can't deny that. Cannot. Cannot. I don't know, man. And I can't be the only person that brought up, or I can't be the only person that noticed them bringing up Sasha and then, like, saying on some of their social media later, later, like, uh, don't quit, be legit, or something like that. And they show a picture of Sasha Banks, and they mention Sasha Banks, and then they, you know, do the bit with her cashing in later. It's just like... It's like, talk about throwing her under the bus. The next match, which had the, the United States Championship on the line, with Rey Mysterio beating Samoa Joe relatively quickly, but Samoa Joe gets the last word at the end, beating down Rey and threatening uh, Dominic. I almost thought, in, so, in some respects, that Samoa Joe was actually going to try, try and take the mask of Rey, but he didn't. He just beat him up and left. 
Yeah, I don't know if this match was short because of Joe getting his face busted open, because apparently that was not planned. That was a shoot of injury or bust open to Joe. So maybe that is why they did it, just just to be safe. Uh, I did think it was funny beforehand in that match they showed Sami Zayn interrupting Triple H to complain about the Braun Strowman. Triple H said that the Braun Strowman was barred from the building, which of course obviously set up him showing up later, but I'm assuming there's going to be more to come with Mysterio versus Joe. Maybe they gave Mysterio the title so that they can say, you know, he never won that title before. And I'm pretty sure the finish with Joe having his shoulder up, that was supposed to be that kind of screw job finish where, you know, the, the heel has the legitimate reason to feel screwed. And the problem with that is, of course, in storyline, it means that the referee is an idiot. And I'm not sure if you want to make your referees idiots in storyline. It's one thing if he wasn't truly there, but I don't think that finish was a shoot. I think it was part of the storytelling, and their referee's an idiot. Oh, idiot referees are going to be a theme in this night, planned or otherwise. Uh, yeah, the match was cut short because of Joe's broken nose. Uh, or busted nose or whatever that came out after the fact so that is true so we've had one match at wrestlemania that was stopped early because of ray's injury and we've had a second rematch where the match was stopped early due to joe's injury so are we gonna have like plastic bubble wrap match between these two where we can try to get a longer match so they can stay injury free um i'm really pissed they took the title off joe um, I don't care about the finish with the shoulder up or not. He needed to have that title for a long time because he's gotten yanked around so many times since coming back from injury. He also had a shoulder up in a match against AJ for the WWE title last year, and that never got resolved. So um, I think the only thing that's going to come out of this complaint or storyline is a beatdown of Dominic, uh, which won't get Joe back the title. So um yeah, uh, I'm not thrilled with this. Um, I think it hurts Joe's credibility quite a bit. He's he's a great talker. Uh, he's a great character. But after a while, um, people are going to stop being invested. So they're skating on thin ice with him as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I pretty much agreed with all of that. The shoulder up was it's going to be the gimmick to, to get the next match and, and evolve the storyline. I think they should have kept the title on Joe. I'm I'm with Josh. And for such a, another quick match, I guess it was, like you said, because of the injury. Still not a fan of that, but I guess it is what it is. Yeah, they had to continue on somehow, so Dominic is absolutely smashed. But what's the point for Ray to get that revenge, I guess, if, I mean, the title doesn't have to be on the line, but it's so much sweeter when it is when you beat your your enemy that beat the crap out of your son, you have to take his belt too. So um, I would have been much better with the, the belt staying on Joe, but I'm sitting here. And of course, after the match, we see the Braun Strowman one match after being told that he's barred from the building. He's running around searching for Sami Zayn and, you know, just nobody's around. Apparently nobody actually barred him from the building. We don't see how he got in. He just apparently can just walk around wherever he wants. So, I mean, talk about not enforcing your own storyline. Next up, we had the steel cage match with Shane McMahon beating The Miz by escaping the cage. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like 
what I think it was Brian Alvarez had pointed out in the build-up to this match, where their WrestleMania match was false count anywhere, no DQ, you know, the, the whole nine yards. That works because what do we expect out of a Shane McMahon match? We expect him to fall off uh, tall objects. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the cage is tall, but that it means that in the ring, they're going to have to do an in-the-ring match, which is not Shane's forte, nor is it Miz's, quite, quite frankly. I mean, I, I like the Miz. I think he's good at what he does, but, you know, he's no Eddie Guerrero in the ring, and I don't mean to sound derogatory when I say that, but in-ring work is not his strongest suit. So to, to make this a cage match when the strength of half of the guys involved is to fall off heavy things or, or tall things, it just seemed kind of counterproductive, especially since the finish was Shane climbing over the top and then Miz trying to grab him. He grabs him by the shirt and then like Shane just basically sheds his skin like a python, you know, shedding his snake skin and just falls on the ground. Granted, Shane looks better with a shirt off than I do, but uh, it, it just it's one of those things that made Miz look like an idiot. You know, why would he grab somebody by a shirt to try to drag him up? So I, I this was definitely, I think, the, the worst thing on the card as far as match and drama went because there, there was just nothing really fun or eventful that happened unless you're a really big Shane McMahon fan. I feel like I need to rant on this, but I feel like I've also ranted on it previously. I'm just tired. I'm tired of Shane McMahon being viewed as an equal to almost anybody. I'm tired of him feuding with wrestlers. I'm tired of his stupid-looking punches. I'm tired of his stupid kicking out of finishers. I'm tired of all of it. I really can't believe he's up 2-0 on The Miz. And I don't care the shenanigans. The I don't care the stipulations. It's all ridiculous. And the more I have to see him in matches, the more I'm going to be inclined to turn off the TV. Because he's not, he's not a wrestler for crying out loud. I could go on about his age, but some of the people that are, that are wrestlers are either as old, almost as old or older than him. So that taken out of the equation he's not a wrestler i don't want to see him wrestle stop yeah 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 i gotta agree with josh again like so not only are they putting shane in more and more matches they're putting dumber and dumber finishes like last pay-per-view we got the silly suplex off the scaffolding that he took the move but ended up getting the pin for the cheap win today we get him slipping out of his t-shirt like I don't know what what next is. He slips out of his pants. I don't know. Norco might be a fan of that. What? <laughs> yeah, he finally got it. Out of boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with the uh, enough is a Shane enough with Shane McMahon crowd. He's get him behind the desk or whatever. I don't want to see him on TV anymore. We did see Triple H running around backstage. We find Sami Zayn hanging upside down like he'd been captured by Batman or something like that. And then they're strongly implying that it was Braun Strowman. But the payoff for that came along later. Obviously, we know it wasn't him. But we have the explanation for Sammy not being part of the main event match. At this point, what are our records? Through the sham of a cage match, Seth is one and two with two points. 
I am 0 and 3, obviously zero points. Jarrett is 1 and 2 with two points, and Norco is also 0 and 3 with zero points. Damn. All right, let's move on here. Oh my God, I, I couldn't believe this when this ha- actually happened, but a cruiserweight title match made the main card. Tonyese defended the cruiserweight championship against Arya Davari and won and retained I, the title. Yeah, I, I will give them credit for this. I know we poo-pooed the idea of Daniel Bryan in the pre-show. That's usually where the cruiserweight title match goes, and I, it's a little bit refreshing, quite frankly, to see the cruiserweight title defended not on a pre-show. That said, I mean, it's not that there was anything really wrong with the match. It just wasn't something I think the crowd was hot for. I, I don't know how much of these people watch 205 Live. I'd imagine quite a few of them. Uh, now, the champion was introduced first, which, as all you all know, it, it always rubs me the wrong way when they when the champion's introduced last. But the challenger actually got the cooler entrance because he got to drive out in that Mercedes Roadster. I don't know if it's just supposed to show that he's uh, rich or if he's just stealing Alberto Del Rio's gimmick, but I thought it was kind of funny that the heel challenger seemed to have the better entrance than the champion. Yeah, that is his gimmick. He's a rich aristocrat. The match was okay. Sorry, Buddy Murphy, for all your hard work while you were champ that you never got a main card spot. Now you're in oblivion on SmackDown or not on SmackDown. I do like uh, Tony's finisher, the running niece. Uh, I think it's a nice, unique finisher. Um, I just don't think this match was as crisp as it could have been. Um, But uh, hopefully this will not dissuade them from putting this title on the main card moving forward. Um, Somebody had mentioned online, I think it was a question that was taken uh, by the What Culture guys. uh, talking about putting the cruiserweight title on takeover um, where it'd be more appreciated. But in that regard, you'd also be taking a slot away, a match slot away from somebody on NXT um, because usually takeovers are relegated to five matches. Now you could also extend takeover by perhaps 20 minutes or so. And then you get five NXT matches plus one cru- cruiserweight title match, but um, they're probably not going to do that. Uh, That being said, I thought this was a match was good. Uh, Not great. Could have been a little bit better, a little bit more crisp. Uh, Not a lot for me to say here. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to this match. I don't really watch 205 Live, so I really wasn't too invested in this at all. I'm just happy that I think the guy I picked won. And to cap off the Braun Strowman segments, Triple H just casually found him backstage and accused him of beating up Sammy. Braun denied it. Triple H even after publicly stating that he was barred from building, just simply asked him to leave. And Braun just said whatever and left. So apparently he's unaware of what happened to Sami Zayn, uh, but just gave up the search. That led us into the first women's championship match. This was the Raw Women's Championship match. Becky Lynch taking on Lacey Evans. And Becky Lynch retains defeating Lacey Evans by submission. I thought it was a good finish. I'm no in-ring critic, but it looked like Lacey still should spend another year or two in NXT. I think they called her up way too early, but I think a lot of people that watch WWE believe that. I did like Lacey after she'd been controlling the match for a while, like taking the handkerchief and wiping herself down like she's working up a, a sweat. And 
Lacey tried to roll her up, and it was a cool finish because Becky basically reversed the roll-up attempt into the disarmor. I thought that was a that was a very nice finish, but the match itself overall uh, not one of the best things. Still, probably better than the Miz Shane match, just because I, th- I think it was a little little more refreshing. But saying it's better than the Miz Shane match is low praise to say the least. I didn't have a problem with this match. Uh, what I did have a problem with was the finish and the referee being a complete moron. Um, I'm guessing the finish was supposed to be that roll up. The referee was supposed to count to two and at two or two and a half or two and three quarters or whatever fraction you want to put in there. Becky was then supposed to roll through and put in the disarmor. Instead, what the visual that we got was the roll-up happened. The referee stared at Becky's shoulders, didn't make any type of count, leapt over Lacey Evans, circled around to get in position for the disarmor that wasn't even applied yet. So the referee jumped the gun here, totally made this look horrible, and... A lot of people are saying now that Lacey legit shoot pinned Becky because she had her down for a three count, which uh, you can't really argue. Uh, So uh, another incident of the referee looking like a complete moron. Uh, There was an incident of that in the cage match that we didn't even cover um, because of how horrible that match was. So, um, yeah, ref's not having a good night tonight. And this is a good little match for what it was right up until that finish. I mean, we knew we were going to get a short-ish match because – Becky had to wrestle again later in the night. I think Lacey looked serviceable. I don't think it was too bad. She could use some more seasoning, but she's going to get that experience. Not awful. But that that finish was was horrible. Yeah, the ref was she's pinned, and the ref's just standing there. And then yeah, he goes, "Well, maybe I'll go over here and see if I can get like a better look at it." It's like, nope, that's the worst spot you could be. So complete ref bumble ruined what was a decent match. So I guess the question would then be: Is the ref? in real life an idiot or is he just being depicted as an idiot <laughs> you know <laughs> well I, i'm thinking he probably thought that the roll through was going to happen right away or something and he was waiting for it and it never came so i didn't think he realized he was supposed to count there but i don't know some somebody miscommunicated somewhere most likely we're having some ref issues in the last few months here in the wwe take out the Samoa joe ray one which that was obvious storyline but the rest we had kind of having some issues here mm-hmm. anyways Moving on, we had the SmackDown Women's Championship next, and Charlotte Flair upset Becky Lynch to regain the championship with a little help from uh, Lacey Evans. And I'm pretty sure that disturbance in the force I felt Sunday night watching this was the thousands of Becky Lynch fans uh, screaming out in terror and suddenly silenced. And I think it was fairly obvious that when... Becky didn't open the show because it would make sense if you're going to do two matches. It makes sense that one would be in the first half of the show and then the other one would be later on. So I think when they did that after a few matches in, I thought they were going to do something like this, like Becky wins after a grueling match and then the next person would come out and demand the match be done right there. And I'd even written in my notes, I think I can even show the timestamps if I have to, I had written in my write-up at BehindTheSquaredCircle.com that I wouldn't be surprised if Bailey cashed in after Charlotte wins. I don't claim to be a genius of thinking of that. I'm sure there are probably other people that thought the same thing, especially since the crowd went nuts when uh, Bailey made the save later. 
And it was not a very long match. I know that the finish was supposed to be Lacey using her punch, you know, the woman's right, which is supposed to be her, her finisher. Becky basically no-sold it. You know, she didn't really react like it hurt or anything like that. And then, of course, instead of Charlotte rolling up Becky from behind after Becky gets hit with the supposed finishing move, Becky is actually the one that rolls up and Charlotte kicks out and then hits the big boot. I think had they not done the roll-up spot or if Charlotte had big booted right after Becky got hit with the punch or had she rolled up Becky from behind, that would have come across better. And like you said, this is really a night for weird finishes because technically what that means is Lacey didn't exactly directly play a part in Becky losing the title because Becky clearly was able to roll up Charlotte. So you can't really say that, oh, well, Becky lost because of interference because she didn't lose from interference. She lost because her opponent kicked out and then kicked her. Uh, The first thing, uh, they haven't really established what Lacey's women's right is supposed to be. Apparently, it's not as powerful as Big Show's knockout punch because nobody ever gets knocked out from it. All I've seen Becky do every time she's been hit by it, and she's been hit by it a lot, is just basically shake her head and adjust her jaw, and that's about it. So um, I think it would have been funny had the referee botched this finish and counted to three when Becky had Charlotte in the roll-up, because that would have made it look ten times worse in terms of uh, establishing Lacey's finisher. Um, As soon as Charlotte won, I said uh well a whole bunch of shirts are about to go on clearance on wweshop.com um this was too soon in my opinion um granted you can't have becky defending the belts in two matches at every pay-per-view but to do to end it after the first pay-per-view after mania um i i thought that was entirely too soon so i was not a fan of the outcome and um although it led to a couple of good lines on raw but that's neither here nor there for what i thought should have been um long range planning um you could have taken one title off of her at SummerSlam at a bigger show and run with the becky two belts gimmick for most of the summer um, so again, once again, another angle hot shotted or ran through too quickly, um, because they don't have the patience to pay it off long term. Yeah. I thought this was too soon as well to take both belts or take a belt off of Becky. She should have kept both belts. They went through this whole thing to get Charlotte, the champ to, to quote unquote, not unify the belts, bring them together for WrestleMania to have the women's main event, to put both belts on the line, to have someone win them have that historic moment and your next pay-per-view you split it up so yeah way too quick um becky definitely should have won and how many times did i message you guys with bullshit all in capitals so that's kind of how i felt about this one five (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot of bs yeah Jarrett was not happy son and afterwards bailey cashed in the money in the bank on charlotte flair defeated her, and became the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Another quick match, quite frankly. Uh, I had no problem with Bailey cashing in, like I said before, and as clear the crowd wanted her to because she got a big pop 
when she won. So I can see if that's what they're trying to do. I mean, general logic would dictate if they are going to try to keep Becky and Charlotte apart for a year, it's good to put them on different brands. I should make a highlight video about the top 10 moments of Charlotte Flair's ninth world title reign and show it like, the time she hit Becky like this, the time she got help from Lacey or something like that, where it's like 10 top moments from those 30 seconds or show or so that she was world champion. I'm fine with Bailey cashing in and winning. What I'm not fine with is the lack of consistency in the rules. Almost every previous cash in, the champion has to get up to their feet to be able to either fight or take an ass beating. Since when are you able to cash in on a unconscious champion? That's never been established before. I don't recall seeing it before. The referee basically called for the bell, looked at Charlotte and said, mm, oh, well. And then Bailey dragged her lifeless body away from the corner, hit the elbow, and that was that. So, yeah. This is interesting that it's two years in a row now that the woman who won Money in the Bank cashed in on the same night so that they didn't have to carry the briefcase around. Preceding that, you had Carmella, who set the record for most days holding the briefcase before cashing in. So I'm not sure if, you know, the writers decide, oh, we can't have two money in the bank briefcases floating around. We gotta have the one somebody cash in immediately. It'll be interesting to see if next year, if this uh, streak continues or, or, you know, becomes a streak. I don't think you can count two as a streak, but. That should be part of, we should all make mental notes, whomever we predict to win next year, should we should also predict to cash in on the same night. <laughs> Noted. Yeah, so you guys may not have a problem with this, but I have a problem with this. How, as a champion, am I supposed to take Bailey seriously when she's been beaten by everybody on the roster for the last six to eight months? Really? Because she's done with hugs, Jarrett. God. She was angry for like two weeks. <laughs> now she's back to... Hugging and the inflatable guys and kissing. She said on SmackDown she's done with hugs. What's that? I said she said on SmackDown she's done with hugs. She was interviewed in the back and she said she's done with hugs. Well, she's a liar as well as a badass. <laughs> yeah, and I I can't possibly take her seriously as champ given that they've booked her so horribly over the last little bit. There's she's lost to everybody. So how can I think that when all of a sudden she starts beating people to hang on to her title for a while? That she's, this is believable. Can't do it. Well, what about the fact that she's the first female Grand Slam champion? Yes. Oh, God. She's in the history books twice. It's even worse. <laughs> she's been NXT champion, Raw champion, tag team champion, and SmackDown Smackdown champion. champion. And Money in the Bank winner, if you want to pull a uh, Quint whatever. <laughs> Make me vomit all over my desk. <laughs> There's no such thing as a quint slam. Yeah, she's still one of the, the most over. Version. She's still one of the most over women's athlete, women's athletes. I didn't say most over because obviously there's others more than more popular. But she, as Seth mentioned earlier, she was definitely over here at uh, Money in the Bank. People want to like her, Jarrett. As much as you hate that, people want to like her. Over, smover. She sucks. Very over. More over than your mama. One other thing I'd like to add here. Backstage, Roman Reigns was walking. I guess we're 
getting ready for his match. Elias sneaks up behind him, you know, like Wile E. Coyote or something, and the cameraman, this is not the first example of this happening, but it's just one of those things that makes you wonder who would react like this. The cameraman didn't bother to tell Roman, hey, Elias is coming up from behind and is going to attack you. So that makes the cameraman look kind of like a jerk. You know, so uh, Elias beat up Roman, made his way to the ring, debuted his new Thunder Stratocaster instead of the usual acoustic guitar, and then he finished his concert. And I think that's got to be one of a, a first where he gets to finish his, his whole concert, right? Or am I, am I remembering something wrong? Probably the first time in a long time since they gave him the interrupting gimmick. Mm-hmm. We might as well talk the match here, or lack thereof. Another very quick match. This is like the second straight match and the third match of the night that lasted, if not a few seconds, like you know a minute or two. I mean, this one was basically a few seconds. It's Reigns just hit a spear and pinned him, right? Yeah, I think the bell rang and Roman speared him, and that was it. Man, I did a horrible copy-and-paste job here. When I put my predictions in the form, I had this whole thing written out like Elias is going to get squashed because Roman is just going to run him over. And I didn't copy and paste everything, so my prediction was Elias. So it was really bad. I was supposed to pick Roman here. Well, I thought you were, you know, using common sense, which, you know, should have tipped you off right away that there is no common sense in WWE. But Elias should have won so that, you know, they could establish some kind of storyline moving forward. But, you know, God forbid we do that. For the WWE Universal Championship and, I believe, the best match of the show, Seth Rollins took on AJ Styles, and Seth Rollins retained the WWE Universal Championship. This is one of those times where when somebody asks who wins, the answer is the fans, because this was hands down the best match on the show. I'm a big fan of both guys. So I was happy either way. I, I think they are strapping the rocket pack to Seth again. Great match overall. I think it even goes so far as to say it's one of the best matches WWE's had this year. So nothing really to complain about at all. It was a competitive match. They could do a rematch down the road. Everybody would buy it. So no problems at all with this. Yeah, uh, everything Seth said. It was a good match. Probably best match on the show. Um, I, the only thing is... I don't know how long you're going to be able to keep both face if this feud is to continue. Unfortunately, based on what happened later in the night, I don't know that this feud will continue. Um, So it's going to be one of those things where time will tell. Haven't WWE kind of booked themselves into a corner with really extending title feuds because he went and locked in that rule about, well, the former champ doesn't get a... uh, an automatic rematch anymore and i guess in this particular case it doesn't really apply because you know aj didn't beat him for the title so you could do it here but if if aj they were to have another match aj wins then how do you do a rematch and extend the feud but anyway that's just me rambling um no this is a it was a decent match definitely the best match of the night it it felt to me like it was kind of short though i would have liked another five or maybe even ten minutes but no it was it was really good um, just yeah, just wanted more. Oh, and how about that miss stomped into the Styles Clash? I hate the Styles Clash. I'm a big AJ guy, but I can't stand the Styles Clash. Well, I'm just talking about for the visual. Oh no, yeah, that was it was cool, but since y'all have uh, aren't talking raw this week, I could be wrong. I'm just going from clips that I've seen, but it seems like AJ's going to move on for now to Baron Corbin, and then Rollins will move somewhere else. 
I could be wrong in my observation, but that's what it looks Who, like. Whose cornflakes did AJ pit, piss in? I don't know. Great match with Seth Rollins. Your prize is Baron Corbin. <laughs> <laughs> womp, womp. One thing I, I can't... Uh, go, go ahead. I'm done. Go ahead. Okay. One thing I couldn't help but notice in the following segment, we had Lucha House Party come out for an unadvertised six-man tag. They cut their promos in Spanish, then somehow Lars Sullivan was able to come out. I'll avoid the obvious joke about the people he's beating up. I'm just kind of curious if there was, in storyline, another three men to come out and have the six-man tag with. I just find it kind of funny that they introduce one half and then the other guy comes out and there's no real indication as to who he was replacing or substituting for or how he got to be able to walk out like that before a match. But there was more to that on Raw the next night as well anyway. Moving on for the WWE Championship, Kofi Kingston defended against Kevin Owens and Kofi Kingston retains. Not nearly as good as the aforementioned Rollins-AJ match. I think they probably should have flipped those and have Owens and Kingston go on first. That could just be nitpicking, but nothing really to complain about with that match. I've been liking Kofi's reign overall. Nothing really to complain about. So the match itself, I thought was fine. Told the, told the story it needed to. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. Um, I think it told not only the story it needed to, but there was plenty of false finishes in there where you thought Kevin Owens was going to win. Um, interesting that he still went for the stunner, even though they gave them, gave him that move to help get him over as a babyface, which he is no longer. Um, so moving forward, I mean, these, these storylines and feuds not only are convoluted with the whole rematch thing that, uh, Jared brought up, not only are convoluted with the whole wild card thing, but now they're convoluted with the Saudi Arabia shows because, People don't want to go there. So we were supposed to get Kofi and Kevin again. Kevin Owens doesn't want to go to Saudi Arabia, uh, assumedly in support of his friend Sami Zayn, who's not allowed to go. Um, So, yeah, uh, it's weird. And it makes watching these shows difficult. It makes predicting difficult. Um, Yeah. And unfortunately, we got eight and a half more years of these shows. So yeah, but anyway, um, uh, as soon as Jarrett gives his thoughts here, I will summarize our records and points going into the main event. My thoughts, um, really easy. Kevin Owens is boring. I, I didn't really like this match too much. It was just, this was a raw match. It wasn't anything special. I didn't really pay a lot of close attention to it. I watched it, but I'm like, Eh, Kevin Owens, another eight-minute headlock. Here we go. Next. All right. All right after going the, into the main event, our records are? They are uh, Seth 6-3 uh, and three with 14 points. I am 5-4 and four with 12 points. Jarrett is also 5-4 and four, but with 13 points. And Norco uh, is matched with Seth in terms of win-loss at 6-3, and three, but he has one more point at 15 points. Nice. In the main event, we had the Money in the Bank men's ladder match, which had Ali, Andrade, Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, Finn Balor, Randy Orton, and Ricochet. 
Ali was about to get it, get the briefcase, but dum dum dum. After all the train wreck and everything that we went through with the men's money in the bank, Brock Lesnar comes out and steals it and is now the money in the bank briefcase holder. I think Jericho's trolling of this on Twitter was a thing of beauty. He basically said something about, uh, you know, this is why they're always uh, moving ahead or something, something out of effect. But he was clearly being sarcastic. There's way too many high spots to go into detail with this. But if you like the total carnage ladder matches that WWE's been doing for Money in the Bank, this is probably right up your alley. Stuff like slice breads onto ladders and RKOs off ladders. But each guy had their moment in the sun, so to speak, where they were climbing a ladder like they might win. Finally, it was Ali's chance. And right when he's reaching for the briefcase, Brock Lesnar's music hits. Somehow this, like, petrified or uh, paralyzed Ali because he didn't continue to grab the briefcase. He just stood there in complete stillness. You know, maybe he's, you know, taking lessons from Dave Batista about how to be invisible or something like that. Or maybe, you know, Brock just had like the, the, the time gem of the Infinity Stones or something like that. And he was able to, you know, freeze time as he ran out. And I guess the big beef that I would have with Brock Lesnar winning, first off, as the saying goes, he doesn't need it. I think you can just simply have Brock Lesnar come out and issue a challenge or just have him come out and beat somebody up or something to that effect. He didn't need to win Money in the Bank. And like you said before, Narco, I, I had predicted, I believe, Baron Corbin to win, so I was wrong in my predictions. But like you said, they have basically outright said that Baron Corbin's going to be the main opponent for Seth for the next show, probably after... AJ. Yeah, after after AJ, after uh, the Saudi Arabia show and such. So, I mean, I, I guess if they're going to do that match anyway, they don't really need him to win either. I just scratch my head at what story is there to tell with Brock Lesnar that can't be told with anybody else who won the, the briefcase. So that that's my real beef with it. And, of course, from a logical standpoint, I'll give them credit for this, I think it's supposed to be that Brock Lesnar was the guy that beat up Sami Zayn and not the Braun Strowman. So from their storytelling standpoint, okay, I can see that. I just don't think it's a story that needed to go in that direction. The only good thing that came out of Brock winning Money in the Bank was him coming out to Raw, bobbing his head along, pretending like he was holding a boombox instead of the briefcase. Uh, I think it completely sucks that these seven guys and yes i'm also including baron corbin put their bodies on the line beat each other's ass for brock lesnar to come in at the last minute and waltz up the ladder and grab the briefcase as seth pointed out i don't understand how entrance music is paralyzing it's not like brock is the ultimate warrior who would have ran down the aisle and gotten to the ring He already had not one, but two hands on the briefcase. All he had to do was unhook it, and that would have rendered Brock useless. They're like, oh, here's your music. Oh, here comes Brock. Oh, that's nice. I won. Too bad. And this is not the first time they've done that. Just the whole, I mean, there's only so much I can suspend my disbelief of the whole, everybody slow to get up the ladder and, you know, uh, fingertips. And I love when people 
bat the briefcase like it's a pinata. What the hell are you doing? What is that going to do? I just all the tropes of the ladder match are so annoying at this point. Um, yeah, the fact that he had two hands on it, the music played, and he just stood there, mouth agape. I'm like, dude, are your hands broken? Unclasp the hook. Then it doesn't matter what Brock does, other than ish- hand you a beating. But other than that, you're Mr. Money in the Bank. So what's the problem? So yeah. Um, and I, again, with the pissing in the cornflakes, I don't know who the hell Finn Balor pinned, uh, pissed off, but every vicious ladder bump seemed to be his, except for the one where Ricochet broke the ladder in half. But God damn, even the one where the ladder was sideways and Finn bumped his back off that. And I forget who it was. Probably Michael Cole said, oh, the unforgiving part of a ladder. Uh, is there a forgiving part of the ladder? They're all made of metal everywhere. I don't think there is a forgiving part of the ladder. So, yeah, awful. If I had to give it a grade, F minus. Yeah, completely, 100% agree. That's pretty much the exact same I, th- I said. Ugh. Same thing I said on our forums at uh, BehindTheSquaredCircle.com is these guys bumped like crazy. Ricochet got tossed all over into ladders. You guys did some really sick spots and really put their bodies out there for everybody for entertainment. And it's all worth nothing because... Brock wasn't even scheduled to be in the match. He wasn't announced as a competitor. He just shows up. He's like, I'll just take that. Thank you very much. Another stupid finish that ruined what was a really good match. Um, Josh, I don't know how many minuses you want to put on the back of that F, but add about 100 for me. I'm down for that. So our final records are? Uh, Seth and Norco, 6 and 4. Jarrett and Josh at 5 and 5. Uh, the point breakdown is Norco 15, Seth 14, Jared 13, Josh 12. So we we're all one point apart from each other. And the fallout from this is on uh, they did announce a new title on Raw that was going to be announced on Raw. And that is the Waffle House title, a.k.a. now the 24-7 title. Essentially, it can be defended anytime, anywhere, any brand, yada, yada, yada. It started out with... Titus as the champion, Bobby Roode pin him, and then R-Truth pin him, and we are now at that point. R-Truth is the champion. He is calling himself the European champion. So that's the, that's the new title that WWE announced, 24-7 title, and right now the champion is R-Truth. Congratulations to R-Truth on being the longest-reigning 24-7 champion in WWE history. I've heard almost majority of positive things on this concept um it's not my cup of tea Uh, i didn't care for it back when it was the hardcore title i don't care for it now it has absolutely zero interest to me the fact that the title looks like it was made out of tin and carved at a trophy making shop doesn't help anything Uh, i really it's to me it's a third of the roster running around the arena. That's not entertaining to me. So, yeah, more fast-forward material as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's like I was telling Jared on uh, the forums at BehindTheSquaredCircle.com. You probably won't have to fast-forward through it, I, I believe. I think the majority of the defenses will be taking place over the span of uh, YouTube, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. Yeah, but I spend more time on the socials than I do watching Raw or SmackDown, so... Yeah, well, I think if you were going to do that gimmick, it would probably be best done on social media because then they can just put the video 
online and such. They don't have to do it at a WWE event. So maybe that's why they're doing it. And the best thing I think I can say about it is it might give guys who normally wouldn't appear at all or get any type of meaningful program or push. They can do that because it's humor and such. And I'm not saying I like it. I just, I think that's the reasoning behind it. And it is probably the best thing to do with that title. They should make it spin. I have no problem with it. I thought, I thought it when they, when they showed it, that I thought that 24 seven thing would spin, but I'm like, I have no problem with it. It's, it's harmless. It's not going to change, change the, the course of the WWE history. It's just, like you said, give other guys who aren't doing anything something to do. And they're going to utilize their social media because they keep hype, hyping up their social medias. We have so many followers, so many millions of followers on this and that. So I, they're thinking what I would be thinking. Why not utilize that and do some exclusive stuff for it? Why not? Doesn't See, take up TV time. And you know, if they do have to show something, they'll show it on TV. It'll only be for like you know a minute or two. I've heard that a lot, and that irks me because that's lazy writing. Oh, it gives the lower tier and mid card guys something to do. Well, how about writing stories and give them something to do instead of just having them eat catering in the back, wondering how many more days left on my contract so I can go to AEW, Ring of Honor, or New Japan? Oh, let's give them a piece of tin and leather to run around the arena like a nut. Oh, that that, that now they're over. Oh, wait, no, they're not. Write them stories. Put them in something. Give them something to do that is something to do. That's my problem. Well, that plus, you know, it's not like they don't have enough TV time to get everybody on, right? Do we need to have eight segments to show with the same one or two guys in it? Do something with these other guys. And when you're already putting your you know, your tag team championships uh, for SmackDown on the pre-show and you're going to add another title, well, what else gets cut to put that show on or that, that title on there? Or you're going to have, you know, five 30-second events happen every show as the title switches in. It's it's pretty meaningless, and it's just they're trying to bring back again. They, they, they just can't call it the hardcore title because it's a PG time, but they're just trying to bring back another gimmick, and I don't think it's really going to serve any purpose. It, it's a it's a cheap attempt at to spike ratings, just like the whole wild card thing. This is Vince throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing what sticks, and he's in full-on panic mode. That's the exact same reason as Brock winning money in the bank. Overall on the pay-per-view, what do you guys give it? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle? I can't justify making it anything other than thumbs down. I mean, one really, really good match. A lot of storytelling that makes you go, what the heck? So that's not enough to get a thumbs in the middle for me. So I, I'm saying thumbs down. Damn. Um, I'm going to say... I was going to say thumbs in the middle, but um, I will also say thumbs down. Not enough good to outbalance the bad. I can't reach far enough down for what I want to do. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to look more, a little more positive here, but I thought thumbs in the middle. I mean, the, the finish of the main event really brought it down. Thumbs in the, uh, thumbs in the middle overall. I, I actually enjoyed it. Hey, that's just the. The cause of death of Ashley Massaro came out, and I think they waited until the toxicology report came back. And unfortunately, she died suicide. Well, it's sad either way because clearly there was a depression issue going on, and I know from experience with people that you know depression can be a really 
strange thing that can make you do weird things. When I first heard it happened, my suspicion was either an OD or some form of suicide because that just seems to be all too common a lot of times in the wrestling world. It's just fairly rare for it to be a woman, you know, so doesn't make it any less tragic, I guess is probably the best way I can put it. You know, I, I know the family must feel terrible, especially her, her daughter. So, you know, I, I do again want to offer my condolences, but it's just it's, it's just a, a really sad thing and seems to happen too often. I guess it's probably the best way I can put it. On that note, if you haven't listened to our other shows that we got coming up this week, as Seth said at the beginning of the show, we have a lot of episodes. I am joined mm-hmm. on one episode. I am joined by David McKinney of South and going on here in the southeastern region of the United States. Lots of great things happening there. Another show, Seth, joined by Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock to talk the fabulous Mula episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Later on, also me, Josh, and Seth. I believe Jared also. I'm not sure. We'll be previewing Double or Nothing, which will be taking place this weekend from Las Vegas, from All Elite Wrestling, the first real event from them. And I will be reviewing the first episode of Viceland's new documentary series, The Wrestlers, that will be coming up in the next few days as well. So give us lots of listening there. If you have any comments, you can follow Josh at Southpaw. Josh, he needs something to do now that... uh, Big Bang Theory is over, and Anthony Rizzo's in a big slump. Uh, no, he's not. And I have Cubs games to watch. But still follow him. <laughs> Jarrett, when he's not playing Cuphead or Anthem, you can tweet at him at JarrettAubrey5150. Tell him about the great deals that Xbox Live has. And console him because he put money on Brooks Kopka to lose to Tiger, but he lost money. I'll put some money on your mama. Okay. Could use it. Seth, you could follow him at TWBP Show and at Geekville Radio. And on Geekville Radio this week, Seth is talking. Some casting news that broke the possibility of Robert Pattinson being Batman. We got set photos from the new Star Wars Episode Nine, and really kind of whatever comes to mind. So a lot of... A lot of stuff, a lot of shooting the bull and such, and it should be available by the weekend. Give us lots of listenings there. And if you have any comments, you can also go to our main website, BehindTheSquareCircle.com. There is a message board that Jarrett welcomes you to talk about wrestling, politics, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Lots of good stuff going on over there. Check it out as well. And you can follow me at The Bottom Line. So come back. We got some more stuff coming for you, and uh, we'll talk to you later. And with that, we are gone. The Wrestling Brethren Podcast, copyright 2019.
Wrestling Brethren are not sponsored or endorsed by any products, shows, or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts of the Wrestling Brethren are purely their own and do not represent the views of any guests, websites, sponsors, or affiliates. Some media used on the Wrestling Brethren podcast is the copyright of its respective owners, all rights reserved. 